thanks for listening to this sermon from Cedar Springs Church. We know life is busy and it's easy to get caught up running in so many directions. At Cedar Springs, we see you and we're with you. We also understand the feeling inside of you for something deeper. In fact, we believe God created us for those deeper things and we want to help you discover them. We want to introduce you to a life lived deeply with God and with others. If you're not already, we invite you to visit us during one of our Sunday worship services. We are all working toward taking our next step to move into deeper faith and community. So come, take your next step with us. We don't want you to settle for life as normal because you were made to live deeply. Friends, good morning. It is good to see you. It is good to be back home after a great trip to South Africa where we, Cedar Springs, hosted a a global gathering of leaders who are planting churches that then plant churches. So leading networks of church plants all across the world in England and Scotland and Germany and Brazil and Peru and Chile in South Africa and the United Arab Emirates, literally all over the world. We gathered these leaders for a time of encouragement and also um, vision to encourage one another, spur one another on to be about the work that the Lord is doing. And it was a a great time. Um, By way of encouragement, we got sent this note by one of the participants. Listen to this. They said, thanks again for last week. I had an incredible time, made amazing friends, felt deeply valued and loved, and we are energized to give ourselves wholeheartedly for the Lord's work in our little corner of influence. I'm perplexed, he continues, in many ways as to how good it was, why it was so good, and how I might learn from it as I lead my team and others on this continent. It really felt like a supernatural moment, and I praise God for the way he uses Cedar Springs. This is not normal, and the way you work with us continues to surprise and amaze me and really, really have a direct impact on our work across this great continent. May we get to do this for many years to come. Friends, when you are a part of this church, you are a part of something bigger than yourself, and you are not crazy for investing your time and your energy and your talents here in in this place that is making a difference across the world. Today, though, we return now to our series looking at the image of God. We have been learning together how the image of God isn't just a truth that you should know, a truth you should know and and pull out and apply in certain circumstances, but rather is a a worldview that we should think in, a category that we should think in. If we want to live and love like Jesus did in this world, we have to view the world through this lens, that every human being is made in the image of God. Every human being is made in the image of God. Now, having taken a couple of weeks to explain what that means, we're now in a section of the series where we're applying this truth to some of the thorny, difficult, challenging questions that we confront in our culture. How does this become the lens through which we think? And so last week, we thought about the image of God and the sanctity of life. Andrew showed us that it's because the image of God that we value life in the womb and in the world and to the very end. Well, this week, we continue with this section of our series because by considering how the image of God should shape our approach to the transgender community. The transgender community. Now, I'd be lying if I say I didn't get to this point and, and, and realize this was the topic for the week and wonder, who makes this preaching schedule? Right? 
Then I realized, I make this preaching schedule. I have no one but myself to blame. But as a church, we don't duck any of the hard questions. And the things that people are talking about in the world, we're going to talk about here in our church. In fact, more than that, we think the church should be the place that you come with all of your your questions. And we have limited time today, so I want to just start uh, by giving you some of the resources that were helpful to me as I prepared this sermon. Uh, Dig into some of these uh, later on if you would like to to study more. First of all, the book on the right is called Transgender by Vaughn Roberts. It's less than 100 pages, and I'll draw from it extensively today. Second book, bottom left, uh, is called The Secular Creed by Rebecca McLaughlin. She dives into some of the uh, beliefs of this culture and beliefs of this this day and analyzes them from a biblical perspective. Third, a really beautiful book called Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy. A really helpful understanding of, of what it means to be human. And a little thicker, a little more dense. If you want to do a deeper dive, go to that one. And then the last one, top left, is a sermon by a pastor called John Tyson that he preached called Jesus, Gender, and the Transgender Community. I encourage you to, to check out those for, for more. But now we're going to go to the most important resource, which is in God's Word. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1. I'm going to read verses 26 through 28, and then we'll dive in together. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Father, we do pray once again that you would come and that you would be our teacher. We are gathered here as your children. We know that we are dearly loved by you. And in light of that great salvation, we want to live and love like you in this world that is so in need of grace. So would you come and challenge us? Would you come and convict us? Would you come and teach us? Would you come and do a work, Lord? Would we pray along through this time to listen for your voice that we might be changed by your grace? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it does seem like hardly a day goes by now without hearing some kind of transgender story in the news. And often this story is accompanied by by outrage, heated debates, heated arguments over education, heated debate, heated arguments over access to restrooms or women's shelters, heated debates, heated arguments about participation in the military or in sports. And as a group of believers, we start this morning not with outrage. We start by remembering that every human being is made in the image of God. You may have struggled with this question of gender, this transgender issue personally, yourself. If so, you're made in the image of God and you are deeply loved by him. You may be struggling with this issue with friends or or family. If so, we remember that they are made in the image of God and that they are are deeply loved by, by him. 
We may have all sorts of questions or frustrations or even anger toward people who think differently to us. And we start by remembering that those people who think differently to us are made in the image of God and they are, are loved by, by him. So may God fill us with grace and truth, with compassion and conviction as we study this topic together and see three things. First, the confusion of the world. Second, the clarity of the word. And thirdly, the consequences for our lives. Confusion, clarity, consequences. Let's dive in together by thinking about the confusion that we see in our world. What does it mean to be transgender? Well, here's a definition. A person whose gender identity does not correspond to that person's biological sex. Straight from the dictionary. A person whose gender identity does not correspond to that person's biological sex. So a key idea in the transgender community is that there's a difference between sex and gender. Biological sex refers to the the physical side, chromosomes and anatomy, but gender identity refers to the psychological side, how you feel inside. And so one transgender activist puts it this way. There's a gender in your brain and a gender in your body. For 99% of people, those things are in alignment, but for transgender people, they're mismatched. Now, it's important to realize that there are a bunch of different perspectives, even within the transgender community. Some people do feel that they were born in the wrong body. Some people feel that they are neither male nor female. Some people feel that they are both or even something else. And there's a variety of of responses as well. Some will want to change their name or their their pronouns. Some will want to have surgery. Some will take no action at all. There is diversity within that, that community. How many people wrestle with this? Well, despite the attention it gets in our, in our world, the, the numbers are, are, are actually very low. One study suggests between 0.01% of men and 0.005% of women have a diagnosable gender dysphoria. But there's also no doubt in our culture that these numbers are on the rise and quite dramatically so especially here, here in America. One recent study suggested there are now up to 1.4 million transgender adults. So more and more people in our country believe that you can separate your sex, your physical body, from your gender identity, your sense of whether you are male or female. And to disagree with this approach will very soon have you shamed as a bigot will very quickly have you labeled as, as, as hateful. One Gallup fact sheet on transphobic hate described transphobia this way. What does it mean to be transphobic? What does it mean to, to have transphobic hate? It means an intolerance of gender diversity based on the idea that there are only two sexes, male and female, which you stay in from birth. Did you catch that? What does it mean to be transphobic? What does it mean to be full of hate? It means to believe there are two genders and you live your life as the gender that you were born in. That, that is now deemed hateful. And so we ask, how did our culture get to this position? How is it that a view that has been commonplace for all of human history 
and that seems so self-evident to many, is now defined as, as hate. Well, that question needs a longer answer than this sermon can provide, but there are some things that we, we want to understand. We don't just want to dismiss people who think differently to us. We want, we want to understand their worldview. We want to understand the confusion. We want to understand the thinking that takes our world to the place that, that it finds itself in. And here are two things that help us understand the confusion we see in our world. First of all, as most Christians know, we live in a world that has rejected any kind of divine authority. Rejected any kind of divine authority. This, of course, owes its roots to the enlightenment and the belief that we don't really need God anymore to lead us into truth. Why? Because we have reason and we have science and we in and of ourselves have the ability to learn and discern and discover truth. So forget about the Bible. We can discover truth ourselves. Interestingly, though, in time, this rejection of divine authority gave birth in the 20th century to something else, the rejection of something else. Because we have rejected divine authority, in time we came to reject even objective truth. Reject objective truth. Reject the idea that some things are true and always true and unchangeably true. How did we get there? Well, quite simply, because this enlightenment idea, rejecting divine authority, believing that we could take ourselves into truth, just quite simply didn't work. This human project didn't work. Science and reason didn't lead us to all get along. Instead, even our best minds couldn't agree and we fell into world wars and nuclear bombs. That this great project that, that reason would make humanity better didn't work. And so now a new thought, what we refer to as postmodernism, emerged. This idea that, hey, let's not fight over what's true. You see what that's done to us? See how much damage that has done to us? Let's not fight over what's true. Instead, what's true for me will be true for me, and what's true for you can be true for you. We've rejected divine authority. Now we've rejected objective truth. Where does that leave us? It leaves us in a world where everyone is free to believe whatever they want to believe about anything, including their gender. You see, in that worldview, in that way of thinking, with that lens, this makes, this makes sense. There is no God. There's no objective truth. I'm free to speak my truth for myself. The only thing, of course, that you can't do is tell somebody that you disagree with their view. That's the only view that's, 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 that's off, off limits. The confusion we see in the world, a world without God, a world without truth. And so I hope that when we, when we look at the transgender community, um, Rather than outrage, something in our heart actually breaks. For a world without God, a world without truth, um, friends, we, we, have, we have grace, we have compassion, we have a heart as we see people lost in such confusion. But into this confusion, the Bible speaks a very clear word. And this is going to be a short point because it is so, so clear. The clarity of the word. Genesis 1 verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Lest we just think it's the Old Testament, Jesus picks up on this teaching in Matthew 19 and says, have you not read? It always makes me nervous when a Bible verse starts that way, you know. Have you not read? 
I don't know, have I? Yes, I just read it to you, don't worry. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Really simple teaching of the Bible is that when God created humanity, he made them male and female, equal in value, equal in dignity, equal in worth, equally in the image of of God. He made male, he made female, he made men, he made women, and he made you as one or the other, and you know which one because of the body that he gave you. He made all of us male or female, and you know which one because of the body that he gave you. Adam and Eve didn't have to figure their gender identity out. They knew because of how God had designed them. Now, in quick parentheses here, I, I do want to acknowledge that the medical condition of, of intersex, a condition where people are, are born without easily being able to be recon, rec, recognized as male or, or female, but I don't actually want to get too sidetracked on that for a couple of reasons. First of all, because that is a medical condition, and those born with that condition don't like to be included in the transgender discussion. It's a medical discussion, not a social, psychological discussion, so it's really a separate issue, and all the more because literally over 99.9% of people are born in a body that is clearly male or, or female, and when it comes to the body, I hope we understand that Christianity, the Bible, has a really high view of the body, a really high view of these physical things. You know, like, when you ask yourself, um, you know you're not really like a spirit or a soul that's somehow trapped inside this body. That's been a heresy that's plagued the church throughout history. That like the spirit and the soul, those are good things, but the physical bodies, those are kind of wicked, evil things. And if we could somehow free ourselves from the physical, then, then we would all be, be better off. And the Bible says that is not how we've been created. We've been created as, as embodied souls, <laughs> Theologians call this the psychosomatic unity. What does that mean? It means that the body and the soul, they go together. They are, they are, they are one and that you can't be human without the body. God created us this way. And not only that, he will resurrect you that way. <laughs> Your eternity will be physical. Our great hope is not that we will somehow be freed from the body, <laughs> Our great hope is that we will live on in eternity in these physical bodies. And so, because of the Bible's teaching, we don't believe that you can separate your body from your sense of identity. We don't think you can separate your sex from your gender because we think that your body is part of what makes you, you. It's part of what makes you, you. This is why Nancy Piercy called her book, Love Thy Body. Because in the same way that we teach people that they should love their curves or their curls or their color of their skin, so we should teach people to love the gender that they've been created in. We should teach people to love the bodies that God has given them. Von Roberts puts it this way. He says, each person's biologically determined sex is a good gift of God's creation. We should accept it and live within it. If God made you a woman, you should love being a woman. And if God made you a man, you should love being a man. It's freeing for us to know that our gender identity isn't something that we have to go and figure out. It's something that God has given us, something that we can celebrate. The clarity of the word, God made you male or female, and either one is very good. Very good. 
Okay, well, in that light, let's, let's move to consider some of the pastoral implications of this, some of the consequences for, for our, our lives. Let's take these ideas we've been discussing and see if we can apply them to some of the specific questions that, that we face. And I'd like to do this by starting personally and then kind of moving out in concentric circles from there. The consequences for our lives. Let's start personally. What should you do if you question your own gender? What should you do if you question your own gender? First, a word to young people. Young people, I want you to know it's fairly normal to have questions about your gender. It's fairly normal to wonder, what does it mean to be a boy? What does it mean to be a girl? Even to wonder, what might it be like if you'd been made like one of the others. It's fairly normal to wonder about these things, especially if you don't fit the cultural stereotype of what it means to be a girly girl or a manly man. But here's something I love about the Bible. Um, the Bible is very clear that God made you a man or a woman and you're to live that way. But do you know the Bible is not full of rules and regulations and stereotypes over what it means to be a man or a woman? And so there's this beautiful reality that the Bible is narrower and broader than our culture. It's narrower in that it says, no, you are male or female and you have to live that way. But it's broader in that it says, yeah, but you can be what kind of man or woman God has, God has made you to be. And so you might be a thoughtful or artistic or, or gentle man. Or you might be a strong, tough, aggressive, sporty woman. And either of those is great, according to the Lord. That's why Nancy Fiercy writes, the entire range of human personality traits is open to both sexes. And so young people, if you don't feel like you fit into the cultural stereotypes, that's just the cultural stereotypes. And do you know what? They change. Here's my favorite example of that. If you think of long hair and a skirt, what do you think of? I think of Braveheart. <laughs> Feminine, masculine, depends, right? <laughs> depends. These things are so shifting. These things are so changing. And so if you don't fit the cultural stereotypes, here's my, my don't let the fact that transgender issues are all around us confuse you into thinking that you might be transgender. Because it's much more likely that the questions you have aren't, am I a man or a woman? But what kind of man or what kind of woman do I want to be? <laughs> Adults, what should we do if we question our own gender? Well, here's a quote from Sam Albury. He summed up the Bible's teaching very succinctly when he says, our culture says, we're going to contrast the, our culture and the Bible. Our culture says your psychology is your sexual identity, how you think, how you feel. That's your sexual identity. So let your body be conformed to it. Change the body to match the mind. The Bible says your body is your sexual identity. So let your mind be conformed to it. Piercy comments in our culture that when a person senses a, a dissonance, a disconnect between body and mind, the mind always wins in our day. And the body is dismissed as irrelevant. But why should that be the case? Why should it be the case that if there's a disconnect between mind and body, the mind just automatically wins so that we would seek to change the body instead of changing the mind? 
Isn't it, isn't it possible that we shouldn't base our sense of identity on subjective feelings that can change, but instead on the very way that we have been designed? Isn't that a much surer foundation for your life? <laughs> Something that is, that is not going to change, that's sure, that's, that's steady, what, that makes a much better identity. And I encourage you to believe that freedom is not found in escaping the body that God gave you. It's found in embracing the body that God gave you. Okay, parents, let's move out a little bit. How should you talk to your kids about transgender issues? You know, the most important thing I can say is that however you do it, you should talk to them. Why? Because we need to realize that the vast majority of our kids already know way more about these things than we do. And I, I don't want to burst the bubble, but I kind of do. Right? Uh, Summers McMurray, our director of marriage ministry, wrote this. She said, Culture is bombarding our kids with millions of messages, pushing an agenda straight from the sexual revolution. That consent is the moral standard for sexuality. That healthy sexuality means experimenting with many different identities. That a person's biological sex can be different from their self-perceived gender, and both can be different from the person's gender expression. Our kids are already familiar with these ideas. And you know what? Our kids also interact with them way more than we do. Not just in the media and online, but in their classrooms and with their, their friends. Ask, ask your kids if they, if they know any transgender kids, and, and you'll be surprised. You, you, well, you might be surprised at what they say. Here's the point. Um, if you don't disciple your kids, somebody else will. If you don't disciple your kids, somebody else will. And every mom and every dad in this place, just go and grab hold, like radical ownership of that reality right now. That my kids are my responsibility. And I got four of them, right? And I'm feeling the weight. They're my responsibility. Like the Lord has given them to me and I don't feel equipped, but he's given them to me because he knows that I am the dad and Rosie is the mom that, that, that these kids need. And it's the same, it's the same with your kids. That he has given them to you to, to raise them to love and, and, and know him. And so we seek to raise them. And listen, of course, this church, um, one of the best things you can do for the discipleship of your children is make sure that they have a thriving connection to this church. But even then, we still don't just delegate the discipleship of our kids, even to the church. It's our, it's our responsibility. If we don't disciple them, somebody else will. Summers continues. It's possible, and I would argue unwise, to completely shield our kids from culture. Instead, we need to roll up our sleeves and engage with our kids proactively. And I say amen to that. Worry less about doing it perfectly and just try and do it. Start by listening. Listen. Ask them what their thoughts are. Before you respond to what they say, ask them another question. Then ask a third. Ask them what questions they have. In time in this conversation, sure, speak, share the better story that the gospel has to tell. You know, the Bible does offer us a deeply satisfying worldview that makes sense of the world that we live in and fulfills all the desires of our hearts. So speak to them about the God who made them and about the God who loves them and about the purpose and joy that's found in following him. Wade in, they need you and God gave them to you because he knows that you're the parents that they need. 
believe that. Okay, third, family and friends. Um, what should you say to friends or family who tell you they're transgender? What should you say to them? I think it depends, and I think it depends primarily on whether or not they're believers, on whether or not they believe in Jesus. Because what should you say to a friend or family member who, who's transgender and, and doesn't know the Lord? Honestly, I would make it my ambition to share the Lord. That would be, that would be my goal. Keep first things First, friends, you understand. We, are, we understand we're not in the business of behavior modification. Our goal is not to try and create nicer sinners. <laughs> and like, weep with me as you consider, is our goal just to make people more pleasant to our senses as they march their way to hell? Like, we believe in a gospel of grace that Jesus saves anyone who comes to him and he saves them full and free. It is not Jesus plus gender. It's not Jesus plus anything. If it's Jesus plus anything, we're, we're, we're all lost, but because of Jesus, we can all be saved. And so we stay in relationship with our friends and we look for opportunities to share the gospel. We believe that they'll come to faith if we introduce them to Jesus. And sure, maybe in time, there'll be life change downstream from him. But we start with him. What should you say to a friend or family member who, who is a believer and tells you that they're, they're transgender? Well, one author describes it as uh, the commitment to have hard conversations in the context of relationships. Von Roberts again says this, um, and as I read this quote, it does have an implication for the transgender community, but apply this, apply this to yourself as I, as I read this quote. He says, the modern idea is that we have to affirm the feelings we have and that we can only be authentic as we fulfill our desires. But the Bible teaches that some of our desires should be resisted. <laughs> we are to measure our desires and feelings against the will of God. What's he saying? He's saying all of us have thoughts and desires at one point or another that wouldn't be healthy if we were to run out and fulfill them. And, and the call of the Bible is actually at times to, to, to take up our cross, to, to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. Not because ultimately Christianity is a suppression of desire, but because ultimately Christianity is a fulfillment of our greatest desires, which means we don't act on every little impulse in order that we might find true satisfaction in, 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 in the Lord. And so as we do in our own lives, and let me suggest only to the extent that we do in our own lives, it's appropriate to call our transgender brothers and sisters in the Lord to deny themselves and follow him. To deny themselves and follow him. Roberts concludes, those who experience gender dysphoria should resist feelings that encourage them to see themselves as anything other than the sex of their birth. We believe the challenge of doing that would be very great. And so our love for them must be greater still. Okay, two more. No, three more. Um, this sermon's going to go a little bit long. <laughs> okay, acquaintances, colleagues. Um, here, let's talk about the whole pronouns thing, 
right? Let's talk about the names and the pronouns thing with a colleague at work or acquaintance that you have. Now listen, there are different opinions on this and I'm gonna tell you mine. Um, this is not thus saith the Lord, this is thus thinketh the James, right? Um, and here's my, here's my take on that. It is gonna be really hard to be in relationship with someone if you don't call them what they want to be called. So I, I'm, I'm taking the long view. I'm playing a long game. I'm thinking about how Jesus is at work in his, in his world. And, and I'm happy, I'm happy to, to call, I'll call you whatever you want me to call you. If it means that we can be in relationship and in time might have the opportunity to have a, to have a gospel, gospel conversation. And how beautiful would it be? Mm. <laughs> you know how the Bible's full of name changes? Simon, Peter, Saul, Paul. How beautiful would it be if someone you called she came to Jesus and returned to he? A gospel name change, because you played, you played the long game. Okay, church, um, how should we welcome transgender people? I hope you're picking up the spirit already. With grace and truth, with compassion and conviction, yes, unflinchingly sharing Bible truth, but doing so as a community of love. You know, one of the reasons that there has been such an explosion in LGBTQ identification is that people are looking for an identity and a community. People want to know who they are and they want to know where they belong. And the LGBT community does a phenomenal job of that. Giving people an identity and making them feel celebrated and loved. And could it be that people are longing for something that they should have experienced in the church? That they should have experienced here in the church? Are we that kind of church? Do we love people just as well? Hey, forget just as well. Do we love people better than the LGBT community? Are we that place where people are welcomed in their hurts and their hopelessness and their confusion and their despair? Are we that place where people walk through our doors and, and feel welcomed, feel loved? Are we that place where someone who is wrestling with this and fighting temptation could find long-term loving, joyful support? The chance we have as a church to be the church at its best. Okay, one more question. Culture, how should we engage the larger culture? All these questions around education and restrooms and military and sports. We don't have a time for a full answer on this, but it comes back to grace and truth. It comes back to compassion and conviction, unflinchingly sticking to the Bible, but doing so as a community of love. Speaking up and sharing our, our winsome convictions in our own spheres of influence. Seeking to support Christians who are working more on the front lines of the political and, and policy ramifications that come up in this space, being fearless about the fact that God's plan is best for us. God's plan is best for us and being equally ferocious about the fact that even those who disagree have been made in the image of God. Last word, the Apostle Paul, let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love. The confusion Yes, the clarity. Yes, the consequences. Yes, let all that you do be done in love. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for this time to reflect on the teaching of the Bible. And we thank you that there's nothing new under the sun. That your, your word gives us everything that we need for eternal life. And everything that we need to, to live this life of faith here today. So it's with... Uh, thanks, it's with gratitude that we 
uh, pray that you would be at work in our hearts by your spirit to make us a people who live and love like Jesus in this world. In his name we pray. Amen.